Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to talk with an incredibly talented nine-year lawyer about an important topic that is getting more airplay than ever, professionalism and executive presence. It is my pleasure to welcome Kristen Hernandez to the show. Kristen is senior counsel for McDonald's Corporation, the world's leading global food service retailer with more than 36,000 locations globally, serving approximately 69 million customers in more than 100 countries each day. More than 80% of McDonald's restaurants worldwide are owned and operated by independent local businessmen and women. Kristen provides legal advice and counseling relating to business and commercial transactions pertaining to McDonald's supply chain, equipment, operations, government relations, finance, antitrust compliance, and commercial transactions. She also conducts training on various topics, including antitrust compliance and internal best practices for McDonald's business teams. Kristen has been practicing law in-house at McDonald's since July of 2010. She began her career on McDonald's real estate team, negotiating leases for special venue restaurant locations, such as museums, malls, airports, tollways, and military bases. She spent three years in the corporate commercial group advising clients and negotiating supplier agreements relating to equipment and restaurant building materials, followed by two years supporting U.S. franchisees in their franchising agreements and business operations, before returning to her commercial practice in a new role, including support for McDonald's sustainability, marketing, and intellectual property functions. It is my pleasure to welcome Kristen to the show. Thank you so much, Tina. I'm so happy to be here. I am too. I'm very excited about our conversation. So why don't we kick things off, Kristen, with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to be a lawyer? Sure. That sounds great. That's an easy one for me. I I grew up always wanting to be a lawyer. My uh, grandparents and parents were born in Cuba and as immigrants to the United States, um, I was born in Chicago, but they, they raised me with a very strong sense of pride and gratitude for the U.S. government's freedoms and kind of the entire U.S. system and the legal system. And so I, I kind of just always felt as though it was the greatest honor to be able to work in the business of kind of enforcing and being an officer of that um, legal system. And so when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to apply for to this honors law program at my um, undergraduate school, and I was accepted into law school from high school, and I, and I just knew it was the perfect fit. And honestly, 10 years later, I can honestly say that it is the perfect profession for me. I am so thrilled every day that I get to practice law, and I thoroughly enjoy it. You know, that's really awesome. Can you take just a couple seconds to explain that program? Because I think you may be the only person that I know who went through a program like that. 
Sure, absolutely. It's a fantastic program. So the Illinois Institute of Technology here on the south side of Chicago owns Chicago Kent Law School. And they started a program shortly before I did it, so about 15 years ago, um, to try and encourage more students to go to the undergrad school, which is primarily engineering and architecture focused to also go to the law school. So it's called the Honors Law Program. And if you get accepted into it, you complete your three years at the undergraduate university and your fourth year of undergrad um, actually is counted by your first year in law school. So it's essentially a three plus three program and you skip a year of undergrad. I actually was the first student to complete the six-year program in a total of five years by completing my undergrad credit hours in two years. So um, I was quite young when I graduated from law school and took the bar. I was actually 22 years old. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. And you should be really proud of that accomplishment. I was, it's funny, I was 23 when I graduated law school because I did undergrad in three years and I was born in October. So I was like, I was one of the youngest people in my class to begin with, but you know, kudos to you for doing so well academically and being able to do that. That's quite an accomplishment. Well, thank you so much. Yes. I'm a September baby. So also was always one of the youngest, which helps, but um, truly I, I always felt that this was what I wanted to do, and I couldn't wait to be a lawyer. And I can honestly say that it's been a fantastic career for me, and I, and I definitely found my calling. So you actually are um, one of relatively few attorneys that when you graduated law school, you went directly in-house. This is such a terrific story. Can you take a couple minutes to share it with our listeners? Absolutely. McDonald's Corporation hired me out of law school as an independent contractor. I turned down an offer at a law firm, actually, in order to pursue my dream of being a McDonald's lawyer. So I was fortunate enough to be an intern in the Association of Corporate Counsel Chicago Chapter Minority Internship Program, which I currently sit on the committee that runs the program. I'm actually the chair this year. Um, and I was an intern in the program, which places approximately 12 to 15 law students in in-house companies throughout Chicagoland and also provides significant soft skill training for those students that don't really have exposure to others in the legal profession and really gets a peek under the tent of what it is to be an in-house lawyer. And again, it was like the absolute perfect fit for me when I when I went through that program it made me recognize that I really wanted to be an in-house lawyer and a business partner to my clients and really get to understand my clients business and and be part of a company um, that's really was very fascinating to me because it kind of gave me the opportunity to I saw these in-house lawyers having the opportunity to really impact the daily business from a legal perspective so I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to start at McDonald's because I actually got to meet the general counsel, Gloria Santona, who is one of the most inspiring women that I know and is an incredible mentor to me to this day. I met her and asked her when I was in law school, what could I do? Where could I work for five to 10 years so that someday she'd want to hire me? And two weeks later, she offered me the opportunity to, to help out on one of her business legal operations teams. 
during law school. And I took the opportunity to meet as many in-house lawyers as I could while I was there in law school. And upon graduation, I was offered a position in our real estate group um, as a contractor for a year. And a year later, they hired me full time. So they definitely don't do this as a general practice. Um, I was very fortunate and I worked very hard to kind of demonstrate that I was willing to spend the extra time and effort to learn and come up to speed um, and, and really add value to the organization. Um, I will say it's such a group of wonderful people in the McDonald's legal department that made it really easy because everyone took the time to really teach me what I needed to learn in a very helpful and positive way. And so it's it's really been, I've spent my entire career there. I've been there now nine years and I, I honestly couldn't be happier with that. Well, and you've had really an amazing, varied set of experiences within your role at McDonald's. You've worked with biz- with different business units. And why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about the trajectory and evolution of your practice in the context of the in-house law department at McDonald's and what you find to be the most rewarding and most challenging aspects of the time that you've had there so far? Absolutely. So we have about 200 lawyers globally and about 100 at our corporate headquarters here in Chicago. And so we have a number of practice groups that specialize in different areas of the law. And we really are almost like our own big law firm. We have very specialized areas and we get to really do a lot of substantive work. So that offered me the opportunity to explore a number of different practice areas throughout my nine years. So as I mentioned, I started out in one of our real estate teams doing special venues work, which is leasing with airports and tollways, which are government entities that creates all sorts of interesting um, challenges for our business. So I, I really enjoyed doing that work. And then I had the opportunity to transition to our commercial practice group and really get familiar with our supply chain agreements and general commercial contracts and transactions and deals. After doing that for about four years, I had the opportunity to transition to our franchising and business council team that works with our field offices in um, really working with our franchisees in terms of selling restaurants and really working with them to ensure that they're upholding McDonald's uh, business standards and our gold standard of operations. And so that was a really interesting transition, but really everything that I did was on the transactional side. And I had so much support from the leadership at McDonald's. I have to say that's really been a constant for me that if if you seek out opportunities and you really want to grow and become more well-rounded, that is strongly encouraged by my leadership and always has been. And it's really allowed me to pursue this just because I wanted to. Some people really enjoy the practice group that they're in and don't have any interest in moving around. And that's perfectly great too. It's, it's really nice to be at a place that lets you explore and build the career that you want. So after spending about two years working with our franchisees, I had the opportunity to come back to the commercial practice group in a new role that was kind of a hybrid with marketing and IP and got to learn some, some intellectual property and, and marketing law as well, again, just to become a little more well-rounded and, and learn more about our business. And I will say that I'm a much better commercial lawyer now, having spent time doing 
business operations and franchising, really just understanding all the different pieces of the puzzle that make up kind of the McDonald's business, which is just massive. I mean, we serve 69 million customers a day, over 37 restaurants globally. It's just the scale of the business is so fascinating to me. And I've had such a varied career because of that and because of the leadership. And so I think that's what's been most rewarding about my role is the opportunity to really pursue different things that I'm interested in. And even now that I'm focused um, on commercial uh, practice, I've had different client groups, different business units in my company. And I'm now working with our US supply chain team on our food and paper and a lot of our sustainability work having to do with chicken antibiotics and beef antibiotics and animal health and welfare, just really interesting new challenges that I'm I'm always learning and really a valued business partner by my clients, which is uh, my favorite thing. I would say definitely the most challenging thing is um, time, (laughs) not having enough time to do everything and spend as much time as I want on everything. But, you know, it's also a skill to manage time and balance your life. So. Well, yes. And, you know, you do a tremendously good job of juggling everything, not just with your work at work, but also in the profession through your involvement with the Association of Corporate Counsel, which you mentioned a few minutes ago and beyond. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, as as we switch gears a little bit and start focusing on our conversation about professionalism in the profession of law, Um, I think you are uniquely qualified to have a conversation about this because you entered this profession at a much younger age than a lot of your contemporaries. And there's a lot of discussion, as I'm sure you know, because we've had this conversation about millennials in the workplace and the multi-generational workforce. So I think that the conversation about professionalism is, you know, in some ways more important than it ever was before. And so as you know with that as a backdrop given what your work experience has been and what you understand to sort of be where your colleagues and peers are in the profession what does professionalism mean to you particularly in the legal profession today your point about me starting in the legal profession at a very young age is is very important to this conversation because i think that my perspective on professionalism has evolved dramatically over the past nine years. And what it means to me today is really being able to create a personal brand within your organization where you have strong business relationships, a very positive and collegial working environment and relationships with your colleagues and clients, but maintaining kind of this sort of professional distance that really kind of balances very finely the line between being comfortable and close with your colleagues, but really reminding people that you are a professional and that your advice needs to be taken seriously and that you should be respected. And I think that's really what it's about. And it really has changed for me. And I, and I don't know that I recognize that until recently. And it's really made a difference in how I approach my career moving forward is really appreciating the value in creating a strong personal brand and being very professional at all times. I think that is how you 
inspire people to want to do things that you recommend and inspire people to follow you as their leader? You know, you've mentioned just so many wonderful things in your answer, and we're going to be pulling apart some of what you've said, both in the remaining um, time we've got now and in our next segment. But elaborate a little bit on what you said about, I mean, how do you do that delicate dance between creating an environment where there's collegiality, there's closeness, but also where you maintain that distance. Because I do think that some people, depending on who you talk to, have different philosophies about how best to engender collegiality, collaboration, and loyalty. And I do think that there is a school of thought that you need to you know, actively do activities outside of work with people on a more personal level. And I've seen some of my um, you know, peers and, and counterparts sometimes do some really, I would say that they travel together, they get together on a very regular basis. And I, I do think that there's a place for that and a strong value in that. But how do you, against that backdrop, maintain the professional distance as you put it, necessary to maintain professionalism? Yeah, I think it's really one of the most challenging and difficult things to balance, to be quite honest. And I don't think that I did a very good job when I started out my career at McDonald's. And as I mentioned, one of the things that I love so much about my legal department are the people. The people that I work with are genuinely wonderful, brilliant lawyers and fantastic humans and people that some of which have become close personal friends. And not recognizing the importance of kind of keeping those lines separate is something that I I certainly became very good personal friends with a number of people and I and it took me a long time to recognize that in order to really build my brand as a potential future leader which is something I aspire to I really need to change how these people view me from a young individual who's a new law school graduate to a serious attorney that's been practicing for over 9 years and really could be a potential leader. And so I think it depends on the organization. You mentioned that some of your colleagues travel together. I think having the emotional intelligence to understand the culture of your organization is really important. For me, the way that I have found has helped me start to learn this balance because it's definitely a journey that I am on and that I'm I'm very focused on developing right now. Um, is to look at what the most successful leaders in the legal department are like and find really strong role models. And there are several that I can think of and kind of understanding how they are friendly, positive. You can talk about your weekend. You always make time for others and to connect on a personal level. But the subject matter of what you're talking about is somewhat at the surface rather than sharing kind of all of your dirty laundry and your personal problems and things going on really at a personal level. Um, really becoming skilled at talking about not surface level, but things that are just more appropriate for a professional environment and a little bit lighter and focusing on really talking about 
the business or your profession or career oriented things rather than personal topics is kind of one aspect of it, but really understanding what that tolerance is and what the line is for your organization, I think is very important. And I'd say that the leaders I admire the most in my department just have this skill at being warm, welcoming, kind, taking the time to talk about things like professional, things like career um, objectives and the business and things like that without necessarily getting into any really personal details. So I think that even if you were in a scenario where your organization calls for travel or socializing outside of work hours, the subject matter and kind of the general attitude that you have, if you are constantly, you know, positive and friendly and helpful and focused on things that are helping the organization rather than kind of the attitude that you'd have in that environment if you were meeting with your sister and talking about right. <laughs> everything that went wrong in your weekend or whoever you want to complain about. Those types of things, I think keeping that out of the conversation really helps maintain that professional distance. You know, I, I think you've you've really um, hit the nail on the head in several respects. And I, I, I do think that there are really important takeaways for our listeners from what you have been saying. And I I would say just, I would add this and, you know, welcome your thoughts that to the extent that, you know, I look back on the last 25 years of my career and, you know, if somebody would ask me, where do I think people go off the rails, so to speak, more often than not when it comes to professionalism and people's perception of them, I would say it's the oversharing, both in terms of what they say but it's also in terms of their body language and their demeanor in the workplace. I don't know if you have anything you'd like to share in that regard, but I just think about some of the people that I've known over the years where I think they're self-aware enough sometimes to know that they have certain um, challenges that they need to work through, but that's my sense is that sometimes it's about the oversharing and not being seen, particularly when it comes to leading teams and so forth, sometimes not being seen as the leader that they're capable of being because of their demeanor and what they and what they share. Exactly. Um, I think that demeanor and what you wear and how you present yourself is also very, very important. And you hit the nail on the head and kind of made the point. The reason why this is so important is because people will not subconsciously view you as a leader and the type of person that they want to follow and respect if you are oversharing or overly casual or I would even say negative um, in a consistent way. I think being positive and strong is really important and that doesn't take away from friendliness or collegiality, but really it's become an interesting experiment to see what's happened at McDonald's over the past nine years. We, we When I started, we had a very uh, professional dress code of business casual, but really never any jeans. And then through the evolution, I've, I've been through three CEOs and every CEO has kind of changed the dress code. And we went to a dress for your day policy that has evolved even further when we moved our offices from our suburban headquarters in Oak Brook to the West Loop here in Chicago. And a number of the the business 
teams, kind of our clients are are changing and getting younger and younger and the attire is getting incredibly more casual and you could technically wear jeans every single day, although the policy says dress for your day. And I've really taken the time to pause and think about what that means. And, and I think that it's, I don't think it's intended to be as instructive as it is, but it's not just dress for your day in terms of what meetings you have, but I think of it as dress for my day in terms of who I want to be and who I want to be viewed as. And so while there are plenty of days that I have no meetings and I think, oh, not that many people will be in the office. It'd be so great to just wear some jeans and flats. You know, I I think it's really important to remember that it's worth the extra effort to dress up a little bit more and wear the uncomfortable shoes. And and that almost helps with that demeanor of professionalism. It helps you feel like you need to remember that you're at work and you're not in a social environment. And I do think that, again, when I look at those really successful leaders, you never see them wearing jeans on a regular day. That's not kind of an outing or something like that. And so that's kind of my litmus test. I, I try to envision people that I aspire to be to be like and use that to help guide how I view, um, how I'm trying to build my own personal brand. And also that thought in and of itself, you recognize that I want to be that type of a person for someone else at some point in the future. I want to be that person that is a role model as well. And I think that helps with um, leadership and, and helping others really get that professionalism and understand the value of it and create that culture. You know, you mentioned a, a couple of really important things and it's interesting because I sort of look at how attire And we could talk for hours about just the subject of what's professional attire and what's the messaging that you're delivering. But when I first started practicing in the mid nineties, we were still doing the banker suits thing and with casual Fridays at many of the large law firms being something you could wear jeans with and and things of that nature. And then as the market evolved and the dot-com bubble came and went, um, there was definitely a, I would say, an evolution towards more of a business casual type of, of an attire. And it's funny because I look back now and I think that it still is business casual even today, but I think what that means is different. And what I find interesting is I can't even remember the last time I wore jeans to work, even though Fridays are definitely more more casual at my current firm. And it's really about what is the image I want to portray. Um, it has happened on numerous occasions over the years where I've had a client call me and say, hey, I happen to be in the neighborhood. Can I stop by? Or where I'm walking by one of my partners who's in the middle of a business meeting with their clients where everybody's suited up. And also just given the different roles I've had over the years, what I've concluded is that very rarely am I really casual at work. It's just not who I really define myself as. I always want to be ready for whatever life or my practice may throw at me. Um, And I've decided that wearing jeans to work, unless I'm getting on a plane that I need to be comfortable, it's a long flight or or, or whatnot. I'm very rarely really in in an active casual state just because you know, life throws you surprises and, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised if a client says, Hey, let's meet up. And it's a very last minute thing. I want to be ready. Um, and so I've opted to 
be, you know, much more dressed up than maybe some others. And I think everybody sort of has to strike the right balance, but I completely agree with, with where, where you're coming from on that. So the last question before we close out um, this part of our conversation, do you think it is more difficult now to strike the right balance with professionalism than it was nine years ago when you started practicing? I definitely think that it is more difficult today as the environment's evolved, as you mentioned, kind of the attire evolution and what's acceptable in the workplace makes it more difficult to find that right balance. And it makes it more important than ever to really keep it top of mind and be consciously aware of it and the impact that it has and really choosing things that um, that set the tone for how you want to be viewed and what your career aspirations are. I agree with you. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, to what extent, I have to ask this question before we close out our first segment. Do you have any comments about just the changing presence of different generations in the workplace, at least with respect to something like attire? I mean, I, I remember like one of my um, top of mind stories with respect to this issue is that it was a couple of years ago. There was a client meeting that had been on the books for, gosh, at least a week or two. And I was bringing the team at my old firm that was part of the service team. And so it was the day of the meeting. And I assumed that it was pretty standard knowledge that when a client's coming into the office, you suit up. And let's just say that one of the members of the team who was a relatively young attorney, showed up in smart jeans and a button-down shirt. And we had to have a conversation first thing in the morning where essentially I had to send this person home because I said, you know, I figured and maybe was incorrectly that when we have a client meeting that it's a signal to everyone to dress appropriately. And the good news was that this person lived within a couple of miles of the office So they were able to go home and put a suit on. Um, The the meeting happened to be in the afternoon. But I would welcome your thoughts on on this because my guess is that this type of thing or, or some similar set of circumstances may happen quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, so, that's so interesting that even at a law firm, you would think um, that would be even more formal of an environment. But I think that there are situations where leaders think that you need to be dressed up and you need to look a certain way and present yourself a certain way. Specifically for an interview, we have people that walk in dressed casually for interviews, which is is mind-blowing. And so I mentioned that I I help with the internship program for first-year law students at the Association of Corporate Counsel and Diversity Committee puts on. And, and I always take the time to really remind the students because I think that there is such a generational difference and there's just a different perspective on, on what it is that's acceptable. Everything has become so seemingly acceptable that I think that certain generations, the younger teams don't necessarily realize that the people in charge, kind of those people making career decisions for you are still of the generation where 
they were brought up that you wear a suit for certain things like interviews and where you have to present yourself in a certain way. And rather than kind kind of thinking that that's a an antiquated mentality. What I really encourage students is to embrace it, embrace the opportunity to demonstrate that you care enough to put on that suit. I think it really is an indication of your dedication and your interest and your seriousness in being a successful contributor to your business and to your company. So it's not about conforming in my mind. It's really about showing that this is important to you and that you want to be respected. And, you know, particularly for those that are younger, and and as I mentioned earlier, I started my career at a young age, the the more serious you dress, the more seriously people will take you. It just is a subconscious thing. We're all humans at the end of the day. And you have to recognize that all of these subconscious things really do make a difference, make a meaningful difference in your career. So why, if you care about your career in a certain way, if you have certain goals, then you should really recognize that these things are important. I get teased for wearing a lot of black. Um, and I joke, you know, I have a very... I'm a very outgoing and talkative person and I look young and I'm a a short female. And so I think that if I were to wear a lot of color, it would really just be distracting and really create an image of someone that's not who I'm trying to be and project. So I let kind of my personality be the the color and I mostly wear black or gray or navy and, and that helps me kind of always feel more professional and serious. Also, if you spill on yourself, then you don't have to worry as much. That's awesome. Well, I can't believe that we're out of time for the first segment of our discussion. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners and where can they find you? I can't believe it. The time flew by. Um, Absolutely. I guess I would just say everyone has different career goals and objectives. And and so take the time to at least be intentional and think about what it is that you want for yourself and what personal brand you think you need to build in order to get there and just make it a conscious choice. Don't ignore it because I think it's way more important than I ever realized. And the more I recognize that, the better I feel about having control over my own future. You can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled quite uniquely, so I'm easy to find. My name is Kristen Hernandez, but Kristen is spelled K-R-Y-S-T-I-N. So if you look for Kristen Hernandez, Senior Counsel at McDonald's Corporation on LinkedIn, you can find me, connect with me, or message me directly through LinkedIn. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and I look forward to the second part of our discussion. Thank you so much, Tina. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Kristen Hernandez and that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.